You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And Happy New Year's, uh, brothers and sisters. I'm glad you were able to make it. I know, as Josh prayed earlier, just some of us, lots of us traveling and many of us not sleeping last night. So I'm just glad to see your faces. And, uh, and I do want to just say, just as we begin kind of this new year, um, I, am, I am very aware, just freshly aware, kind of as we look at even just, you know, New Year's are one of these times where you're taking time to look back and look ahead. And, um, and just as I do that in our lives, I am really, really grateful for you, Precious Church. I, I feel like it is one of the greatest and sweetest privileges to be able to serve you as a pastor. Like you can't pastor people unless they let you be their pastor. And so I, I feel that privilege. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you. It is a joy to be your pastor. I, I, I'll tell you this. This is not to flatter you. This is all honesty before the Lord. Danielle and I often get home and just see how much we love this precious body. Just how grateful, grateful we are for you. The love that often abounds with you and towards others and towards us. And we just feel that. The forgiveness that is quickly often practiced between one another. We just see it happening. We are just very, very, very grateful be a part of this church body. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be a pastor here. Um, It is my joy. It's my joy. Today's going to be a little bit different in the sense of normally we're going through, you know, a sermon series and we're taking a big passage of scripture. And today we're taking a very little passage of scripture, a very short passage of scripture, dropping in, getting, drawing out some of the context, but then seeing what that means for us going into this new year. Uh, For many people, the new year is sort of a symbolic time of new beginnings, as Josh was mentioning, and I mean, actually a wonderful, wonderful way of tying in, brother, almost like a biblical theology of, of new, and it just, I don't know if I've ever heard that, it was excellent, brother, so just excellent leadership, but that's, that's how we kind of approach this season, and so for most of us, we're, we're kind of looking back at the past year, then looking ahead to the upcoming year, and we're refocusing ourselves on what we think is really important. We're sort of gathering ourselves again and adjusting our way of living uh, in order to meet that which we think is most important in our lives. For most of us, for for most people, lots of people, I should say, uh, the new year is a time where we sort of evaluate our health. We're evaluating our health. We make strategies for new exercise and diet plans, and so we can live a healthy life. Well, brothers and sisters, as pastors, as a pastoral team, we're called not only to consider health, our physical health, our personal health, the health of our families, but there really is this call as shepherds, under shepherds of the great shepherd, this call to consider the spiritual health of the people of Christ. And so you feel as if you're constantly just saying, where are we at? Where's the body? Where are people just... Man, growing in the faith, where are we struggling? Where is their sin? We're just evaluating and looking at those things as we seek to pay close attention to the health of the church body. So even in the new year then, even for the the church body as a whole, it is this time for us to, to stop and kind of pause and consider what are we doing as a church? Where are we and why are we doing those things? What are we giving ourselves over to as a church in our time, our energy, our resources, our efforts? And then we ask this question, especially as pastors, are we healthy? Are those things that we're giving ourselves over to, is this a healthy church? We're a young church body. We're a little church body. But the biggest question we have beyond any of those things is we, I've said it, we may always be little, like whatever the Lord wants, but are we healthy? Are we a healthy church body? But we can't just ask, is this a church that's healthy? Because according to society standards or the culture we live in, a healthy church may look very different. A healthy church often to our society is a church that shouldn't talk about people's sin, right? We often hear that in our, in our culture. When to be a healthy church, don't make people uncomfortable by talking about sin. 
Or it could be things like, hey, you just need to be more entertaining. A healthy church has a lot of people. Right? Aren't those things that we think of often? A healthy church probably should have an an appealing pastor and very visual, good illustrations. There's lots of things that can be lumped in as a society when we think of a healthy church. But instead, we should be asking at Mission City Fellowship, when we say, are we a healthy church? We should be be asking, are we a biblically healthy church? As a church body, are we doing what is good and right according to God's word? Are we biblically healthy? And here's what we see. A, A biblically healthy church is a church engaged in what the Bible would call true worship. So today I want to help us see as a church what true worship is and then see what that means for us as a church body in this coming year as we aim to be a biblically healthy church filled with true worship. So follow along with me as I read God's word from John chapter 4, just two small verses, verses 23 through 24. But the hour is coming, and this is Jesus speaking. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we we may be a little bit different this morning. There's a new year. Lord, some of us are very tired. We're taking two small verses where normally we're taking a big chunk. There there, there are things that are different about this morning, Lord, but we come to you, our unchanging, solid God. No, No uncertainty within you, Lord. You are still very much working your plans and purposes, and you have good for us today from your word and the truth of your word. So we pray, Lord, may you teach us, teach us what true worship is and teach us that we may then worship you appropriately and rightly. Lord, if there are things that we are to continue doing, as our brother even earlier said, we are to confess before one another, confess to God. Lord, if there are things we're to continue doing, Lord, stir us on, fan us on, Lord. And if there are things we are to begin doing, Lord, stir us on. We love you. We pray most of all that you would be exalted as we open your word. Teach us, grow us, enliven us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. God created us, every single one of us, to be worshipers. And specifically, to be worshipers of himself. That we would would love him and value him and delight in him and treasure him and and obey him and regard him with the greatest reverence and, and joy so as to give him the glory and praise of our hearts. So because we're created to worship, we can't help but worship, but there's a problem. And the problem is because of sin, We often worship the wrong things, right? We can't help but worship. We're created to worship. We're created to respond to things. We're created to look at things and say, that is good, and I like that. And then we respond. We're created to do that. We're created to do that of Him. But because of sin, the big problem is our worship gets distorted. And we worship things that we shouldn't worship. For an example, did you know that the world's largest mosaic statue of the Virgin Mary is found in our city. The world's largest mosaic statue of the Virgin Mary is found in our city. Listen to this, but what's, what's been written about worshipers coming to worship the world's largest mosaic statue of the Virgin Mary in our city. A candle shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe Rains from the side of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. So I'm reading you a bit from an article. Cultural Arts Center watching over a neighborhood in San Antonio. 
the artwork crafted from vibrant. Now listen, that the artwork, so it's artwork, but yeah, here in a second. Crafted from vibrant red and gold tiles has been a source of light and the center of the arts since it was completed. It is an active landmark of faith and spirituality. People come from all over the country to pray and leave behind flowers and smaller versions of the giant candle structure. One regular visitor explained that her relationship with the statue is different because she has a heritage as one of the First Nations people in San Antonio. So she doesn't call the figure the Virgin Guadalupe. Instead, she calls her Mother Tanansen. That's my best attempt there. The Mother of the Earth. This regular worshiper goes on to say, she is connected to every single one of us, speaking of Mary, or the statue of the Virgin Mary. She is the one that brings the hope. And she is the one that brings the unity. The candle shrine and the arts have been a beacon through the violence and homelessness in her neighborhood. It's always light. We gather around it as a community and as a family. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. Talk about worship in our city, right? We're worshipers. We can't help but worship. What at the beginning of the article is clearly called artwork, by the end of the article, people are praying to, calling the mother of the earth, the hope of all the neighborhood, the light of the life of people. We can't help but worship. But because of sin, we worship the wrong stuff passionately. And it's been happening for God, even in God's people for generations, right? Don't you remember, like you think of Exodus 32 and the golden calf? Moses leaves for a moment, right? He climbs up the mountain. He leaves for a moment. He comes back and what have the people done? They said, we wanted to see the God who set us free from Egypt. We wanted to see him. And so they did the same thing. They crafted him out of gold, the statue out of gold, and said, this is Yahweh. Worship. And it was incredibly wrong, wasn't it? It was incredibly wrong. So we get our worship wrong. So then let's look and see. Let's learn together. What is true worship? And I'll just give a spoiler alert. Church, you, you are engaged in true worship often. <laughs> I see it in your lives, and we'll unpack that. I see it just drenching out of you, oozing out of you. I see it. I see it. But let's, let's look together. Let's, let's be reminded what is true worship. So first, true worship is in spirit and truth. True worship is in spirit and truth. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here because he is here, right? When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And isn't that what Christ is doing? Seeking and saving the lost. He's seeking on behalf of the Father. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So what does Jesus mean when He says true worshipers must worship in spirit and truth? In the context of the Gospel of John, it begins to help us understand that. Jesus, in John chapter 3, encountered a man named Nicodemus. One of the Pharisees. So he was this rule follower, a a very religious man. And despite all of his rule following and worship of God, Jesus tells him in John chapter three, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born of the spirit. So the spirit of God must do something in you. If you are to truly worship God and enter his kingdom with an eternal worship. And that story is pieced together with John chapter four, when Jesus then encounters the Samaritan woman at a water well. It's almost the exact opposite picture of his encounter with Nicodemus, but yet they're tied together. Nicodemus is a Jewish man who is very religious and comes to Jesus at night with concerns about eternal worship. Then you have the unnamed Samaritan woman who Jesus seems to seek out and have a divine appointment with in the middle of the day, who we know is living in unrepentant sin. And she's a part of a people who are considered compromised, outcast 
of the Jewish people. She's part of the Samaritans because they ultimately intermarried with pagan foreigners. And she is actually has concerns about where worship is to happen. And she brings the question, okay, well, where do we worship? Are we supposed to worship on Mount Gerizim or in, or in Jerusalem? And Jesus responds to her in an unexpected way. Neither. He says in chapter 4, verse 20, leading up to the passage we read, he says, The hour is coming, and when, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And then he goes on to tell her, True worshipers of God must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus confronts this very religious man who thought worship was simply rule following and this outcast woman who thought worship had to be in a certain place all the while she's living in unrepentant sin. But he points both of them to the same thing. A life of true worship is brought about by the spirit of God and in the truth of God. True worship has an empowering source. It's by the Spirit of God and in the truth of God. And those, those things aren't separated. They are intertwined together in spirit and truth. If you, we all, just living in the culture and the Christian culture we're in, you've probably heard so many different things about spirit and truth. Like they're opposed to one another. Well, we're spirit church. Or we're truth church, right? It's almost like they're, they're, like they're opposed. But here, no, they're intertwined. True worship is made of spirit and truth. So let's let's kind of unpack this. Second point, true worship is with our mind and hearts. It's with our mind and hearts. True worship, first, is not our attempts to stir God up. Isn't that what church can feel like a lot of all the times in our cultural climate? We're going to come and we're going to stir God up. We're going to awaken God with our prayers and with our voices, church. Some of you maybe even have heard that, depending on where you've come from. We're going to awaken God. We're going to stir him up as if we must kind of get him to respond to us. We're coming to God and saying, we're going to, we're going to get you going, God. True worship is responding to God, precious saints. True worship is responding to God. So hence then you can come in dry and weary and broken. And yet there can be amazing things happen as we worship him. True worship that is in spirit and truth involves our minds and hearts responding to who God is and what he's done. So let's let's talk about truth. Apart from the truth of God's word. We cannot truly know God. We're guessing who God is. We're guessing what he likes. We're guessing what he's like. We fabricate things in our minds of what he's like and what he does. Apart from truth of God's word, we don't don't know how to worship God. We don't know him in all of his glory and his splendor and his holiness The truth of God's word reveals to us that we're sinners in need of a savior. And it reveals what God in his goodness has done to us, specifically in the person and work of Jesus. The truth of God speaks to our minds, right? It helps us think right thoughts of God. In fact, later on in John, so I'm going to quote a a bunch of just passages here and there. John 14, 6, Jesus says something incredible. So earlier in John, he says, you must worship in spirit and truth. And then later in John, what does he say? He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So coming to truth, the truth of God's word is not just the word. It's coming to Christ himself. If we're going to worship the Father as true worshipers, you cannot come worship the Father unless you know the truth personified. In Christ himself. He in and of himself is the very essence of truth. And the gospel of John actually points towards how this union. I remember I remember being a younger believer and thinking, okay, well, who do I worship? Do I worship Christ or do I worship the father? 
Because Jesus is supposed to worship the Father, but then later on, they're like together. What, what, does that, what does that look like? I don't know if any of you have ever wrestled with that, even our younger people. But I tell you what, earlier in my life, I did. And what do you do this morning when we sang a song, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit? Is that unbiblical? Well, no. In John, leading up to these verses, John 3, it says that the Father loves the Son. In John 5, it says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 14, the Father is glorified in the Son. So somehow we see there's this beautiful union. They're not opposed to one another in worship. It's this beautiful union of worship. And so if we're going to know God in truth, we must come to the person of God in Christ himself in order to worship the Father. And in worshiping the Son, we're doing both of those things in beautiful union. The truth of God's word, ultimately rooted in the person and saving work of Christ who reconciles us to the Father, is the foundation of true worship. It's the foundation of true worship. In truth, we come to truly know God and to know how to worship him. But we can't believe and lovingly affirm these truths apart from the Spirit of God. So apart from the Spirit of God, our minds are blinded. Apart from the Spirit of God, our hearts are hardened and we cannot truly love God. And so we cannot truly worship God. We might go through the motions. We might do religious things, but our minds don't truly know God in truth. And our hearts are absent of loving God. And so we are spiritually dead. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus, who, had, who knows the Old Testament truth of God, like the back of his hand, can quote it better than anybody in the nation. He knows truth. But Jesus tells him, you must be born of the Spirit if you're even going to worship in heaven. He tells the Samaritan woman, you must worship in spirit. He's saying it is the spirit of God that indwells a person and gives them a new and living spirit, taking what was dead to God inside of us. And he breathes new life into us, taking our heart of stone towards God and giving us a heart of flesh that begins to feel and love God and affirm the truth of God. Jesus, Jesus says this in John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. I've heard Pastor Rob quote this so often. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Listen to how later in John, Jesus speaks of the Spirit and truth as one. Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. John 15, 26. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. So you're seeing you're you're seeing the spirit of God that is given by God who must indwell his people. And that spirit is 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 a spirit of truth who points to the person of truth in Jesus, who then is connected and honoring the father. And so you're just seeing this beautiful intertwining of the father, son and spirit. And how do we worship the Father, Son, and Spirit? It's brought about by the Spirit of God indwelling us and affirming the truth of God within us that leads to true worship. The work of the Spirit of truth enlivens us to God, enlightens the truth of God to our minds, and applies the truth of the gospel to our hearts so that we can truly know God and respond to God from our hearts. Precious saints, do you know, and I have seen this, I have read this, I have heard this, and it just destroys my heart. You you can fall on either side. There are people who then take all of that and translate things, whether that be through emotion or past experiences or something, and just say, "It's, it's all truth, it's just Bible, which is obviously true, but it's apart from any type of heart, apart from any type of emotion. And if you show emotion, that's emotionalism. 
If you say you're going to pray because you have a broken heart, let me pray for you. You know what? That's just emotionalism. Go read your Bible. Know that you can trust God and that's good enough. I have literally heard that. I have had someone tell me that. Precious saints. The Spirit of God and the truth of God aims at our hearts and our minds. Not one or the other, both and. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So it is possible to say true things. It's possible to say we are a true thing church, right? To do religious things, yet still not truly worship God. Worship is not just informed by truth, but flows from an enlivened heart through the Spirit. The Spirit of God and the truth of God awakens us, informs us with truth, enlivens our hearts to God. It's knowing and loving God. Tie those together. It's knowing and loving God. It involves our minds and our hearts, our thoughts and our emotions. One of my favorites, when I came to Saving Faith, John Piper, one of his books was one of the first books given to me. And I'll just say I'm grateful for Desiring God and their ministry. Um, In fact, even just church I've shared with some of you, that Desiring God and John Piper, they have a good relationship with Sovereign Grace. And they've decided just out of their good hearts, God has stirred them up to, to gift us with any books that we wanted from their ministry. And so we have like 600 books coming for free that they just said, we want to give them to you, whatever you want here. I, I am so grateful for that ministry. Listen to this from John Piper, who's a pastor and author, if you're not familiar with him says this about what we're talking about. He says, worship must be vital, and it should be on the screen, and, and real in the heart. And worship must rest on a true perception of God. So there you have both. Real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of God. And when we say from the spirit within, we're talking rege- regeneration, Right? Bring you brought from death to life first. That, be, that makes us true worshipers. And then we continue a life of true worship. So let's, let's keep going. There must be spirit and there must be truth. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy. Isn't that what you see? Wouldn't that, wouldn't, that's a great word to describe it. Empty frenzy running around and doing all sorts of things. And a church of empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine, truth, strong affections for God Rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Excellent. Third, true worship in the gathered church. True worship in the gathered church. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Because that becomes the big question for us. So what, do, what as a church, when we've bought, been brought to saving faith, Through the work of the Spirit, regeneration, we've been brought from death to life, and now there's an enlivened heart in me. And I know the truth of Christ and the Father and the Son, and I I love Him now, and I want to respond to Him. So what do we do now as a gathered church? What do we do? Well, by God's grace, as a church, we don't have to guess what we should do to worship God in spirit and truth. When we gather together, He has given us His Word, His words of truth, right? He's given us his word that reveals to us what is good and right and appropriate and fruitful to engage in true worship. So we don't have to get creative with it. We don't have to say we can guard against saying we got to do something else. What do we got to do? And church, it's tempting. It's tempting. It's tempting. And there is a sense where you 
You want to meet people in a way that says, okay, I want them to know the truth. So how can they know the truth better? Do we need Spanish translation? That's a perfect example of that. How can we help them know truth in those ways? But you can be tempted to say, no, we need better illustrations. Or maybe even as a church, we just need a more charismatic pastor. A guy with some real pizzazz. Put in front of people and just draw people. Get him out there. Guy with really good ideas. Now we just, we, we can just keep going. We just need a better venue to draw people. I mean, we're, that, we're tempted that way. And, a lot, and sadly, a lot of churches do think that way. Or, or, or at least are led that way. But we don't have to get creative with it. Now, there, our God is creative. He writes new songs. There's these beautiful moments and, you, you know, you may design or decorate or something. There are creative moments, but we don't have to be creative with it to drive our worship. It doesn't motivate us. We don't need to move on from this. We don't need to change it up. We go to his words of truth to see how we can worship in spirit and truth. It informs everything we do as a church. And precious saints, this informs us. So let's look at this just really quickly. I'm not going to read through every single one of these passages, but I wanted to put them up on your screen so that you could see what's motivating us. What is motivating us when we gather together? First, we gather regularly to encourage one another in the faith. This is what we see in Scripture, Hebrews 10. We must gather together. If we make a habit of not gathering together, it's not biblical. It's not good. If we think we can worship God away from the church for long extended periods of time as if I don't need the church to worship God, that's wrong because the word clearly says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Don't neglect it. We are to gather together. So first, we must gather. We must get together. And, we, and when we get together, it's not merely to watch a game. It's not merely to enjoy because I enjoy that type of music or whatever that is. Or because we have the same personalities. I remember at one point, I was a part of a church early on. Our fellowship group, we, we moved away. We, we began, the leader began to move us away from what we were supposed to be doing. Where we were reading the word, we're praying, those things. And we, every week began to be barbecue and talking which aren't bad, right? We do that. We eat together. But every week began to be that. And I even remember one week my mom coming home and saying, man, I just don't, I feel like we're not having edifying conversations anymore. I feel like we're not, we're not growing. I feel like even in our conversations, we're having worldly conversations. And you know what happened? It wasn't long. That whole fellowship group drove an incredible split in the church. And every single one of them left the church. When we gather, first, we must gather. Second, when we gather, we gather to encourage one another on in the faith. To stir you on, to stir one another on in the faith. Second, we read, preach, and teach the word of God. Colossians 3.16, 1 Timothy 4.13. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. The Word tells us what we are to do. We are to read, preach, and teach, and speak the Word of God to one another. That's what we do. I don't get up here and bring... I mean, I, I, guess I just immediately start having all sorts of thoughts, you know, of things we could come up here and just read to you and, and, and be motivated by. I mean, how many times have you seen a church? And I don't want to speak of other church. We're not, we're not a perfect church, so I want to be careful with that. But how tempting it is to say, you know what, let's just speak to the felt need. Let's do X, Y, Z. You know, let's, let's, let's just speak on something else. It's not preaching. We're not opening the word. Let's just speak on this instead, on marriages. Now all of a sudden we have church, we're doing church without Christ. We're picking a topic that people might be interested in. And, you know, let's draw that. Let's speak to that. We're going to preach, read, teach, speak the word. Third, we sing. We sing. Oh, 
I got to stay composed here. We sing, precious saints. We sing to God, but the word even says more than that. There's a double work of singing. We're singing to God, praise, praising him for who he is and what he's done. He's worthy of praise and tethered to that. Listen to the word from Ephesians 5. Be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is praise to God. And he gets to that. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So singing with the church is singing to God. Praising him as we do among us. But it's a double work. You're standing next to the person. And it's almost as if you are singing these truths to the person's heart next to you. You're you're addressing one another. That's why it's so important to sing truth-saturated songs. Right? Because of what we're singing, it better be true of God. Because the Word of God says we're declaring it to one another's hearts. We're addressing one another. So we're reminding as we sing, it's not just trying to stir God up. We're responding to Him, giving thanks to God with our hearts, giving praise to God, and taking one another by the hand and saying, Look to your God. Remember who He is, remember what He's done. We're addressing one another and singing. So it's a a beautiful double work. So we are to sing, to sing to the Lord. We take communion or the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians 11. As, As often as we eat and drink and break bread among one another, we are proclaiming the gospel. As as Pastor Rob and I just before we planted, begin to think like, what is what is our what are our Sundays? What's it going to look like? What's our liturgy? What's our order? What are we doing, and why? And this is what we're looking at. If every time we gather as a church and take the meal and it proclaims the gospel, why do we want to not do that every time? <laughs> Don't we want to do that every time we gather? And so we said, yes, let's do it, man. Be, in, the, in taking that, it, it both proclaims the gospel. It reminds us of the gospel. It is symbolic, right? Of Christ giving himself for us in body and blood. And it is a means of grace. So it's not merely symbolic. It is a means of grace. There is a spiritual work that the Lord is doing to nourish and encourage and remind and strengthen and, and help our hearts in the midst of taking that meal together. Oh, you better believe it, church. If we had a building and we could stay longer, oh, we're talking a meal together and actually breaking bread together. Oh, my. If the Lord shall will, may there be a day. May there be a day. Next, we pray. We pray. 1 Timothy 2 calls us to pray. Pray for all people. And, and, And you're getting, church, we could have tacked on so many verses to these, right? I'm trying to pick one which take so much self-control, you know, just one passage. There is, we are to pray. We are called to pray, precious saints. We need our God. And it's it's a humble posture before our God to say, we need you, Lord. But there is so much spiritual good that happens to us as we pray. There is faith that is built within us. I can't tell you how many times we have prayed, even as a church family, even before we officially planted and launched, as we prayed and saw God answer those prayers in amazing, amazing ways, only ways he could do, and it grew our faith. I, I told our region of pastors as I shared with them what God was doing in those days, and I just said, I can't wait to pray again. I can't wait to see what he does next. I cannot wait. God in prayer is calling us to join in. He's he's accomplishing his plans and purposes, right? And through prayer, we join in with him and say, accomplish those plans and purposes. That's why in 1 John, he can say, when you pray, you can pray with confidence as you pray according to God's will that you have what you ask for. That he's doing what he will do. And as we pray, asking according to his will, he accomplishes it. He does it and it builds our faith. Church, prayer ties in even to the next one. We are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts for building up the church. 1 Corinthians. We're to earnestly desire the gifts. And so we're to ask ourselves, what does it look like to earnestly desire something? 
Church, I don't know about you, but when my kids earnestly desire to open a Christmas present, it's overwhelming (laughs) as a dad. They are bombarding me, right? They are coming and asking, Dad, please, please, can I have that? But I, I really think it'd be really good for me to have that. Precious saints, they're coming and bombarding. And, I'm, and we do it in a godly way. We approach the Father and the Son and the Spirit in a godly way. But we say, Lord, I long for you to move in these ways. I long to see you move. I long to see you move. Earnestly desiring is not passive. It's not passive. Earnestly desiring is leaning in, actively pursuing and asking. And the Bible, those are not made up words. The Bible, God's word says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But there's a second half to that. In in those same passages as you'll see up on the screen, let all things be done for building up. In another place, it says, strive. So because you desire the gifts, strive to excel in building up the church. There's a desire in asking. And God will give as he sees fit. He will cause to, he will enliven those gifts that are in you, that he's given you through his Holy Spirit. But not, not for your own glory. Not so that all of a sudden I can become this great and mighty person and and the gift of administration or something. But so that I can serve him and bring him lots of glory as he builds his church through the gifts he's given me. And so I am to eagerly desire to be used by God for the building of the church. Church, do we earnestly desire? And a lot of that happens in the midst of prayer. A lot of that happens in the midst of prayer. Precious saints, I know we don't talk a whole lot about this, but I've talked to many of you personally about these things. But we have seen, I have seen the Lord do amazing things in moments of a praying church. I've seen the Lord reveal things in people's lives that they didn't tell anybody, but the Lord knew it was happening. And, and there's a Christian who all of a sudden just says, hey, I, I just have this sense. Maybe I saw this picture as I'm praying, like just in my mind, and I just wonder. And they humbly present it. It's not a thus saith the Lord. We've talked about that before. But they humbly present it to others and say, are you wrestling with this? And I've seen, seen God reveal the hidden brokenness in hearts of people. And they say, yes, with tears flowing down their face. And God encourages and strengthens and builds and comforts his people through things like that. We are to earnestly, we're to pray, and we are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts for building up the church. Last, we grow in loving God and others. The great command of Jesus in Mark, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Precious saints, the church should be growing in loving their Savior, in loving God. If we're growing in loving other things, oh boy, we need to question those things. Am I growing in loving God and loving others? This is what a church is called to give ourselves over to as a part of our worship. It is laid out for us in the Word, and we have to ask ourselves, are we doing that? Out of the flow of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, refining, sanctifying, edifying, all of that, is it leading to these things, the outworking of worship when we gather together? And that overflow, worship, doesn't just happen when we're gathered. What we see in Scripture is it happens when we scatter. That's the fourth point. True worship in the scattered church. Romans 12:1 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians 10:31 Whatever you do, whatever you're doing, eating or drinking, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Listen to this from Bob Coughlin. I love this brother. He's a he's another pastor in our family of churches in Louisville. He is the lead of our Sovereign Grace music. 
And he has written several books on worship and one book called True Worshippers. And this is a quote from that book. Listen to this. This is excellent. Far from being a special moment in a Christian meeting, God honoring worship is the natural state of our hearts when we seek to do all to the glory of God. I can worship God by greeting a church member on Sunday morning and continue worshiping as I lift my voice in songs of praise, gladly giving my tithes and offerings, listening attentively to the sermon and praying for a friend after the service are all acts of worship. I can continue worshiping as I have guests over for lunch, clean up afterward and take a nap later that afternoon. And my worship doesn't stop as I faithfully seek to exalt Christ in my home, workplace, school, or neighborhood by displaying a heart of grateful servanthood that has been transformed by the gospel. Scripture does speak of distinct acts of worship, so the gathered church, but all of these take place within the larger context of our all of life spiritual worship. We worship God when we do whatever we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It doesn't require music and can't be limited to the realm of feelings, but can certainly involve both. Worship is a gracious gift from our Heavenly Father who invites us over and over again to find our greatest joy in him anytime, anywhere. Isn't that good? Oh man, so good and so right. Romans 12, present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. True worship takes place and is seen even in the scattered church. Last church, and this is kind of more of a just casting vision for us. We long to be a church filled with true worship. We long, all this that you've heard, we long to be this. We long to be this. To be a church filled with true worship, enlivened in spirit and truth. And so being a church filled with true worship as we gather and then when we scatter away from one another. So in the coming year, as we, as we near two years of existence, which isn't long, that's not long for a little church. It's not long. But as we we near two years in existence as a church gathered, as we're enlivened in spirit and truth, longing for true worship, here's what we hope to keep doing and what we hope to begin doing. So we want to continue to sing truth-saturated songs. We don't want to move away from that, right? We don't want to move away from that. We want to continue singing truth-saturated songs that serve us. And we want to continue infusing our gatherings together with prayer. I've heard this from from several of you, even just as you begin gathering, like, wow, you guys pray a lot. (laughs) You pray a lot. You pray to start the service. You pray in the middle of our singing. You pray before there's preaching. There's prayer in our communion. There is is prayer before service. You guys pray a lot. (laughs) And I hope, church, you've grown to cherish it, to love that. We want to continue to grow in prayer. We want to continue to grow in posturing ourselves in prayer as a church. And so we're looking to incorporate more regular prayer into the life of the church. And what can that look like? Even looking at maybe a possible prayer night or maybe a prayer morning, but a a prayer time where we can just gather. And there's not like we're just we're just praying like we're going to come together and pray on Sunday mornings. It can be hard because you're limited in time. And so lingering in prayer is not a whole lot. You're not able to do that really well. But we long to be a church that is willing to even linger in prayer. In church, and just see what God does as we take and cast our cares before him, humbly before him. I think prayer in that way, as we pursue that in our personal lives, but then as we encourage that as the gathered church, it'll, it'll cultivate humility in us even more to just recognize our need before the Lord. And I think it will build our faith as we see him do sweet things through a humble people. So we want to cultivate prayer, maybe through a prayer night coming or prayer morning. So we'll be be looking for that. We're going to begin having more times of prayer and fasting. 
Our intention since day one has been to, to be a church that regularly prays and fasts together. And so here's something with the, the, the resources that Desiring God is giving us. We have 12 different books coming. I don't know if you guys know we love to give books. We're probably not going to give all 12 of those this year. So don't be overwhelmed. But there's, a, there's one resource that talks about just the means of grace, of like spiritual disciplines for us. They call it habits of grace, like prayer and fasting and, and being in the word, fellowship, things like that. We want to give that to you as a gift to help cultivate within us what prayer and fasting is. Because I realize lots of people have never done that. And so I'd like for us to be taught in that. What does that look like for us? Let me keep moving here. Um, we're going to keep preaching and teaching through the word expositionally. We don't want to move on from that. We don't want to skip through passages. We don't want to do that as a regular habit of the life of the church. So this year, we're going to begin a sermon series through the Gospel of John. It's a big one, right? But we just want to see the glory of Christ over and over and over again. And we want to see kind of like what we saw in Ruth. You saw these connections from Ruth into Christ. Well, it's almost the reverse. In John, we're going to see all these fulfillments and connections to the Old Testament. How he's this great fulfillment of all things. It's just beautiful. So we're going to go through the Gospel of John this year. We also want to balance our diet of teaching with Old Testament and New Testament. So as we begin going through John, when the summer months come, we're going to pause John. And we're going to go and begin from Psalm 1 and just go through the Psalms, beginning in 1, 2, 3, 4, until the end of the summer months. And then we'll return back to John. We just want to begin having a regular diet of Old Testament and New Testament. The whole word is for us. Um, So we want to put that before you. As a part of our preaching and teaching, but also a way that we can begin to grow and cultivate a heart for evangelism and missions, both local and global. Next week, we're going to begin a series, just a short, a little over a month long series through the Great Commission. So the very last portion of Matthew from Matthew 28, when Jesus gives this great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. So we're going to spend four weeks there, just there, drawing out. And even next week, we've talked about worship this week, but next week, Pastor Rob is going to show us how missions begins with worship. So this worship continues on in our new year, how even evangelism, missions is worship, and and it is motivated and driven, it's set aflame by worship. So Pastor Rob is going to take us there. So we're going to begin in the Great Commission and then go into the Gospel of John, into the Psalms, back into the Gospel of John. As part of our teaching and growing in maturity as disciples, we want to begin having what we call collectives. And they're classes for growing in grace and knowledge together. They'll be like these short discipleship classes where a group of the church can come together and interact for a couple hours on a Saturday morning or maybe an evening, whatever works out, and have focused equipping and training on specific topics. So for example, this past December that we just got through, in December we had sort of a trial run of one of those. We had what we called a care collective, where as we're wanting to multiply some more fellowship groups, we took some folks and entered them into this, and they willingly willingly entered into it to grow in in what it looks like in a Christ-centered way to care for one another through the word. And Pastor Rob led through that just a couple hours on two Saturday mornings uh, in a row. And so we hope to, to periodically have these at points in the year where maybe we have a, a, a care collective or we have an evangelism collective where it's, it's more interactive. It's time to talk and to hear from you where you've wrestled and, and where you've been, your experiences in it. But then we're teaching and training and equipping on what that looks like. So evangelism collective, parenting collective, marriage collective, expositors collective. There are, there are people in our church who are leading their families and teaching them the word. There are homeschool families here. There are, there are all sorts. Some, of, some people in here aspire to teaching. There are different people, both men and women, who are leading different forms of teaching, whether it be their children or in the church. And so we want to equip you for what it looks like to exegete the word, to dig out of the word what's there, and then teach it. So have moments for that, of training, what that looks like. So we just want to give it all out there. Even, even moments where we can specifically talk about the gifts. 
There are people who have come who are just like, yeah, I'm all in. There are people who have had bad experiences. There are all sorts of things. There are people who just have questions. They've never, they, they read it in the Word, but they are not sure. We want to have more time to be able to sit and talk about that and go to the Word and draw that out and learn and grow in the Word. We want to grow in being faithful disciples. As part of our worship, and I'm almost done, church, we, we want to grow in making disciples through gospel outreach. And so uh, we're looking for just, Lord, you, you've been building our foundation since we've begun. The Lord's been building us, and, we're, and the Lord is still building our foundation. But, Lord, what does it look like to, to, to put more energy and our, our, put our minds more towards saying, what does it look like to make disciples both locally and globally? So part of, as a young church, we told you, we, we planted uniquely. We planted with two pastors, which is very unique for a church plant, which changes even some of the way we have to use some of our funds and what's available in those ways if we're giving all of our energy and time to the church. But here's what we want to do. Now, entering this year, we want to begin to give more faithfully and regularly to Sovereign Grace Church's global mission. We're a young church. They even told us, don't worry about that. You guys go. You, you give it your all. But we're at a place where we want to we turn around and be thankful for our family and churches. We've taken offerings in the past and have given, given periodically. We want to give regularly, regularly, almost like the churches in Macedonia who say, hey, we don't have a lot, but we're eager to give. We want to give what we can give. And so, Lord, this is yours. So here, here it is. Here it is. So we want to begin to give more regularly in that way. Uh, we are also wanting to put together a team to help mobilize our church for local gospel mission. So to come alongside our fellowship groups and just help them think through what does our fourth week go weeks look like and what can we do? Maybe give ideas and help equip for that. It helps to have people who are already bent towards evangelism and outreach to come alongside you and say, hey, what about this? Have you thought through this? And just equip the church for that. And so we want to put together a team that will help do that and help mobilize us for what we've talked about our fifth Sundays, where as a whole church, we want to do on a fifth Sunday is we want to do something that's all of us join together in some form of outreach. One idea that's come up that I just love that Horacio has mentioned, Horacio is bent towards evangelism. I just love it, is, is, is going to our apartments here, inviting them for a family day, grilling a bazillion hot dogs for them and looking to have gospel opportunities with these people and care for them and pray for them as a means of taking Christ to them. We want to do that as a church. And so we're looking to have this group that can just come with this bent already towards that and just help mobilize us to effectively do it. That's what we long to do. There's going to be a couple opportunities coming up where for Rancho 3M Orphanage, for, where we can go. And that's, a, that's an opportunity for both adults and children to go to Mexico near the border and to go serve at this sweet, precious orphanage. I have been there, precious saints. I have gone. When I was a teen, I used to go all the time with my church in, in Midland. It is a precious place. It, it, will, it, it, is, it, is an, it is a wonderful way to begin to step in towards doing more global missions for us as a church. We want to, like last week, we had these precious bags that the Vessas spearheaded on Christmas. These gospel care packages, these bags, these go bags, gospel outreach bags or something that, that, that the church can take out into the city filled with things for people in need. And I don't know if you got to give some away. We, we were able to. There, it was with blankets and socks and toiletries and paper that said where they could get get warm and, and heat and food and things like that. We want to be able to do that, to express the love of Christ to those who are often overlooked, to express the love of Christ and to share the gospel with them. We want to do more things like that more regularly. Lastly, just with a mindset towards global missions in this new year, I, I, I am, have the joy and privilege to join with a team of pastors um, to go to Nepal at the end of February, God is building his church there where it's illegal to be baptized publicly. It's incredible. God is building his church. And so there are these pastors who need equipping and training. So we're going to go and just teach and equip them in our values and seven shared values and how it's rooted in the word just to equip these pastors for ministry there. 
And my hope is that that would lead into more of us going together with the team of, of, of our family of churches in the, in, the, in the years to come. So these are wonderful, sweet things, precious saints. Some things we're going to keep doing. We want to keep doing the same things. You've heard that before. We say that as a family churches. We want to be the same things church, a same things church. We've heard that. But church, there are things we want to continue to grow in this year. So precious saints, I, I would ask, would you prayerfully consider, Lord, how are you wanting me to grow in these things? As I want to offer my life in true worship to you. I want to give every part of me to you. You deserve all of it. I want to give all of me to you, Lord. So Lord, lead me. Show me where I need to grow. And then as a church body, where can we just join together and saying, Lord, we want to worship you in true worship. Precious saints, with all that has been said, there is no perfect church, right? (laughs) There is no perfect church, but we long to be a faithful church. We long to be a faithful church. So here's the last charge. May truth inform us. May God be glorified. May Christ be exalted. May the Spirit enliven us. And may we be a church filled with true worship as we enter into another year together. Amen? Let's pray.